Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, November 7th. I'm Maite Interiano. These are today's headlines. In Mexico, grieving families saying goodbye to three women and six children killed in a horrific attack, officials blaming that attack on a drug cartel crossfire. Closed-door testimony expected today on Capitol Hill. As the impeachment inquiry into President Trump continues, the key question, what did Vice President Mike Pence know about a quid pro quo regarding Ukrainian aid? And new government numbers revealing that at least 1,500 more families were separated by Trump administration officials than previously disclosed. This and much more today on U News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin this hour with the massacre in Mexico. Services are being held today for several members of the Mormon family allegedly killed by a drug cartel in northern Mexico on Monday. Three mothers and six of their children were gunned down in their SUVs while heading to a wedding. The victims were all part of a fundamentalist sect living in Mexico. Claudia Zurita has the latest on the remembrance and the investigation. Three funeral services are being held today in Sonora and Chihuahua for the three women and six children of the Lebron family killed in that deadly ambush earlier this week. Fearful family members are traveling to the services in a convoy guarded by the Mexican army. Although Mexican officials are blaming the attack on drug cartel crossfire, new information has revealed the ambush may have been a provocation to start a new war between the Lebron family and the Sinaloa cartel. They declared that it was a crossfire and they don't have their facts right. We got to the crime scene before the state prosecutor. Ballistic experts say the ammunition and the R-15 and M-16 firearms used in the Lebron family attack were all American-made. Government officials say 70% of the firearms used in criminal activity in Mexico are from American origin. The smuggling of firearms, especially from the United States, has helped to increase the fire capacity of criminal gangs. President Donald Trump is using the ambush of this American family to raise the issue of the border wall between the United States and Mexico again, arguing many people are starting to understand the need for its construction. And when you see what's going on on the other side of the border, people are starting to say, you know, maybe he is right about the wall. And maybe he is right about having a very strong border. A lot of people have told me that over the last couple of days, they're starting to get the border thing. At Diamond Children's Medical Center in Tucson, Arizona, where the Lebron survivors are being treated, two of the girls have been released. Relatives say the two remaining children are in stable condition, but in deep emotional shock after the tragic events. A caravan of around 100 vehicles from Chihuahua and the United States have arrived for today's funeral services. In Mexico City, Claudia Zurita, U News. And for more on this story, let's go to political analyst Carlos Bravo Regidor. He's in Mexico City. Thanks for joining us, Carlos. Hi, how are you? Thank, thank you for, for reaching out. The New York Times published an opinion piece this morning with the headline, Mexico's fast track toward a failed state. Is the author right? Is organized crime running the country? Uh, well, I would say he's right in some points and he isn't in others. Uh, yes, certainly the, the, the situation of violence, of criminal violence in Mexico has been out of control, but this is not new. I mean, the, the, the war on organized crime 
on drugs has been going on for uh, a, a bit more than a decade. Uh, things have gotten out of control recently because there was a change of government and there's a, a new attempt, a new, a new, a new strategy to face uh, this phenomenon. But, you know, uh, I, I want to take issue with one of the things that the, the article mentions, which is a comparison between Iraq and Mexico. Mm -hmm. The article says that, you know, an Iraq-style search might be a, a solution. And, you know, th this is important to point out because that's a very dangerous comparison. Iraq and Mexico have nothing to do with each yeah. other. And two causes, particularly two causes of Mexican violence are, number one, the rate of drug consumption in the U.S., and number two, uh, you know, the, the illicit traffic of uh, firearms from the U.S. to Mexico. So uh, Mexico might be failing as a state, but one of the main reasons of that is the vicinity to the U.S. and the impact that drug consumption and uh, drug uh, traffic, drug illicit, tra uh, and sorry, firearms, mm -hmm. illicit traffic yeah. from the U.S., uh, you know, feed yeah. this, this dynamic. But it's been over a year since President Lopez Obrador took office on the abrazos, no balazos security strategy that translates to hugs, not bullets, vowing not to fight violence with violence. Do you believe that this is a failed policy? Yes, I, th I think it's a policy that has, uh, you know, fatal flaws in its conception. Uh, bear in mind that the strategy that Mexico has followed for the previous years was, you know, to fight frontally with organized crime. And that, strate that strategy failed. Not necessarily because, you know, it's just the use of force that's not working, but it's actually the way in which force has been used indiscriminately. The problem with President Lopez Obrador's policy is the fact that he's taking, you know, uh, the fact that previous attempts have failed and then turning them into a conclusion that, you know, the use of, of force by the state creates more violence. I think that's a flawed analysis. Certainly, I don't think anybody in Mexico who knows what has happened during the last 10 years, nobody wants to go back to, to what, what's been done previously because obviously it didn't work. But, you know, just renouncing the use of the force or the force of the state to fight crime is not going to solve violence either. Yes, and, and to your point, according to a news report, it took Mexico's National Guard and Sonora State Police around eight hours to arrive to the area of the massacre, even as children were still hiding, wounded in the hills. Is there a lack of government presence in the northern states? Uh, yes, well, there, there's a lack, more than lack of government presence, I would say there's a lack of institutional capabilities, uh, you know, to respond to, to incidents like this. Uh, there are certainly parts of the country where, you know, it's, uh, the government is nowhere to be found and organized crime organizations are, you know, are the ones that run the show. But again, uh, this has been happening for a long time. This is not new. Uh, of course, certainly the tragedy of the Lebaron family has shocked the country and has sent, you know, big waves uh, through the United States because the, you know, the Lebaron family is a binational family. Uh, but certainly what I would say is that uh, the government has a flawed strategy. I think the government is going to need to change it. The strategy has been followed, you know, after the Levaron uh, tragedy is no longer viable. And in terms of, you know, operational capacities, 
the, the key is going to be to strengthen police forces mm -hmm. because you know the ones that would have naturally you know come to 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 tend for the wounded or, or for the killed in the Lebaron incident would have been the local police you know proximity of the police is essential and there was no local police to be found because you know the Mexican government since many years ago has quit uh, you know, has renounced the possibility of consolidating strong local police forces. So, so that, that's another, you know, alternative to the current strategy. Definitely. Carlos, thank you very much for joining us today, and I'm sure we'll contact you soon and hopefully under other circumstances. Yes, thank you so much. Now to the latest in the impeachment inquiry and a senior advisor to Vice President Mike Pence testifying today. Jennifer Williams is the first person on Pence's national security team to appear. Williams was on the now infamous July 25th phone call and according to a source familiar with her thinking, she has knowledge of just how much the vice president knew about efforts by President Trump and those around him to push Ukraine to launch investigations into Joe Biden and his son. A source also said she has concerns about what she heard on the call between Trump and Ukraine's president, although there's no indication she raised concerns to her superiors. Meanwhile, Democrats are stepping up the pressure on President Trump, announcing the first public impeachment hearings next week and releasing the testimony of key witnesses. That testimony now detailing a quid pro quo with Ukraine. Claudia Uceda has the latest from Washington. President Trump fired up about impeachment. It's all a hoax. It's a scam. The president, so frustrated by the controversy, he asked that Attorney General William Barr hold a press conference to clear his name and say he broke no laws in that call with Ukraine. It happened in September when the White House released his summary of that call. Sources say Barr declined the request. In recent weeks, the president has mentioned Bart's refusal to associates, saying he wished the attorney general would have followed his wishes. President Trump lashing out on Twitter, calling the story fake news. But while we are delivering safety and prosperity for Americans, the radical left Democrats are trying to rip our nation apart. It comes as Democrats now plan to take their case directly to the American people, calling on key witnesses to publicly testify next week. The top American diplomat to Ukraine, Bill Taylor, up first. His closed-door testimony now made public as well. Taylor telling lawmakers the president outsourced Ukraine policy to his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Taylor saying it was his, quote, clear understanding that Ukraine will not receive military aid until they agreed to investigate Trump's political rivals. Taylor laying out a quid pro quo, but Republicans still struggling to mount a defense for the president. Republicans plan to request the whistleblower to testify publicly or privately, and Trump is asking for Joe Biden and his son to do the same. In Washington, I'm Claudia Uceda. Now, back to you.
Thank you, Claudia. And Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin is asking for a re-canvas of votes from Tuesday governor's election. His campaign says the election is still too close to call and there are reports of voting irregularities. But Bevin did not provide any evidence to back up his claim. His opponent, Democrat Andy Bashir, claimed victory Tuesday night in a potential major upset for Republicans, with 99% of precincts reporting he is less than 5,000 votes ahead of Bevin. The Bashir campaign says it does not believe the recanvas will change the outcome. Meanwhile, in Virginia, Gazala Hashmi is set to become the first Muslim-American woman to serve in Virginia's state Senate. She was elected on Tuesday to represent her Richmond-area district as Virginia residents voted to give Democrats majorities in the state and Senate House. And state house. Hashmi immigrated to the United States from India as a child. And former Attorney General Jeff Sessions is expected to announce his candidacy for the 2020 Alabama Senate race. Sources said Sessions has not spoken directly with President Trump nor Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell about his decision. Sessions was a senator before stepping down to become Trump's attorney general. Exactly one year ago, Trump asked Sessions to resign, effectively firing him. Sessions had repeatedly clashed with the president over his decision to recuse himself from the Justice Department's investigation into Russia's meddling into the 2016 election. So thank you all. According to a court document filed Wednesday, the Trump administration separated more families along the U.S.-Mexico border than previously disclosed. The government says officials believe 1,556 families were separated from children between July 2017 and June 2018. That's on top of the more than 2,700 families separated under the administration's zero-tolerance immigration policy. In 2018, a U.S. district judge issued a court ordering mandate, mandating the reunification of many immigrant families the government had already separated. Meanwhile, congressional investigators are holding a hearing on a series of immigration raids that took place last August at seven food processing plants in Mississippi. 680 people were detained as part of the largest single state operation of that kind in a decade. Those hearings are taking place in Tougaloo, Mississippi, and that's where we find Lorraine Cassidis. Lorraine, what's the latest? Mighty, it's definitely been a difficult three months for hundreds of families in this area that were affected by these raids. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to speak to so many of these families, some of them that just got out of detention a few weeks ago, maybe days ago, and were in detention all these months, saying the struggle that it is now to support their families, because not only were they detained, but there's also they've also been out of a job for all of these weeks. These months have been sort of traumatic for the entire community. Right now, what we're hearing from a lot of these families is that they're trying to determine how long they can stay here before they have to make the difficult decision of either, either going back to their families, even before they're deported, order deportation, or if they're, they're going to have to go to other states where they can find work. Because right here, right now, no one will give them a job under these circumstances. They're living out of food that's being donated to the churches and also money that they 
the community has gathered to pay for their rents and their utilities until these families can gather their thoughts and figure out what the next plan is. We were talking yesterday with a man who is taking care of three children that have no, no uh, relation to him. These children belong to a single mother that has no family in this area. He was renting a room to her. And now since she's gone, he's had to take care of these kids that are not related to him in any way. He says, I'm their guardian angel. What are they going to do without me? He can't leave. He is out of a job after the raids. So he can't leave the state without these kids. But he also has no rights over them to be able to move them around. So there's many stories, so many conflicting situations. Today we are in Tugalu, as you were mentioning, with this committee hearing from Homeland, uh, the, the Committee of Homeland Security in Congress. And what we're hearing is that this raid was took over a year to plan it out. But ICE, under violating its own rules, never took an account the negative impact that this was going to have in the community. We're hearing that up to uh, 1,500 children have been affected by these raids. It's a very sad situation that they're living here. And we're hearing that many, by January, are going to have to make a decision. That's all the information we have for now. Maiti, I'll throw it back to you. Thank you, Lorraine Cassidy, live from Mississippi. And who could forget the image of a hunched over 89-year-old man from Chicago pushing an ice, cart, ice cream cart to make ends meet? About three years ago, people across the world opened their hearts and wallets to help this man in a very big way. Now that man has passed away, and Gianni Aponte reminds us of his story and the legacy he leaves behind. And I also recognize that. Who gives to the needy, God will give back to them. That money is not lost. This is how Mexican popsicle seller Fidencio Sanchez showed his gratitude for the solidarity of those who contributed to his GoFundMe campaign three years ago. He passed away Wednesday morning at the age of 92. I saw an old man pushing his cart and I felt very sad. Joel Cervantes made the announcement on Facebook. Cervantes was the same person who in 2016 took the picture that made Fidencio famous. A man in his twilight years still working to help his family. We remember him as a hard-working person who wouldn't let himself be defeated. Don Fidencio sold popsicles for 23 years, but with the money raised, he and his wife retired, bought an SUV, and went to visit their relatives in Kansas. He used to cross through there and we bought him popsicles. Very nice people. Don Fidencio became an icon in the city, and for many, he was a great Latino role model who, despite challenges, always liked to work. And why are you working? I told him. Because first, I like it. And second, because I don't like being locked in the house. Reported by Viviana Avila, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. A post-election crisis is growing in Bolivia. Over the last several days, more clashes reported in the capital of La Paz, all after President Evo Morales won another term in office, extending his rule after 14 years leading the country. The opposition has been demanding the resignation of Morales, while the Organization of American States is auditing the results of the October 20 race. Opposition leaders are claiming there was fraud involved in the election a charge that Morales denies. Meanwhile, in Chile, another violent day on the streets of the capital, Santiago. 
More battles breaking out between anti-government protesters and police. Those protests now in their third week have left at least 20 people dead. Earlier Wednesday, President Sebastián Piñera signed a law that guarantees a minimum wage for workers, an effort to meet at least some of the demonstrators' demands. Colombian Defense Minister Guillermo Botero presented his resignation on Wednesday after a series of accusations for not reporting information on the deaths of eight minors during an operation in August. Botero faced a request for a motion of censure. He defended himself by saying that when this operation was carried out, the presence of minors was not known. President Iván Duque accepted his resignation and appointed General Luis Fernando Navarro as minister in charge. More of U News after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Why Netflix may stop working on your television, but first an investigation into Facebook's private practices. Annabelle Sedanos has the details in today's tech report. Annabelle, take it away. Hi there, that's right, and we begin with this. The fight for higher wages for Uber and Lyft drivers continues. In Los Angeles, a proposal asked that drivers working in L.A. for ride-hailing services be paid a minimum of $30 an hour. It would require the companies to pay drivers a wage of $15 per hour, along with $15 an hour for operating expenses like gas, insurance, and basic wear and tear on a driver's vehicle. And listen to this. By 2020, some 80% of businesses will be monitoring employees. That's according to a study done with large companies. It suggests that anyone who works on a company-issued computer or phone and goes into the firm's network, they can get access to all of your activity. So why, you ask? Well, according to the study, they are looking to monitor email, text, social media exchanges, and our movements to gauge happiness. You know what I say to that? Just ask. And finally, Tesla owners may soon have cars that sound like horses or goats or farts. Yeah, farts. You heard right. CEO Elon Musk tweeted his company plans to launch customizable horn and movement sounds for its cars, which will help warn pedestrians they're in motion since they run so quietly. Most manufacturers opt for a futuristic wiring sound, but Musk wants coconuts, goats, and flatulence. And he may give owners the green light to upload their own sounds for the car's horns. What could possibly go wrong there? I don't know. I'm Anna Sedano, and that was your Daily Dose of Tech News. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.